Hello, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of April 7, 2014. This is episode 226, and I am Chris Bevelo, president of Interval, for the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. With me today in studio are... Jackie Olson, account manager with Interval. And Adam Meyer, principal at Interval. Welcome. Hey, Chris. Howdy. I'll just remind people that Interval has a mission of dismantling the status quo in healthcare marketing. We're going to do some dismantling today of certain things. (laughs) (laughs) And that this podcast is, quote, a forum for riffing and ranting on hot or important healthcare marketing topics, trends, and ideas with a whole lot of other noise thrown in. I love that. Didn't we, t- and we, didn't we say a couple weeks ago that we need to rewrite that? We got it. We, we did. Mm-hmm. We should revise. We should, we should get some submissions from listeners. You're listening out there. Now we've done this 100 times. <laughs> we've only had 226 podcasts, but I would say 100 times over the five years we've done this podcast, we've offered like prizes. I don't know if we've ever given prizes. We've, we've, we, yeah, we gave and away the, iPads and. Yeah, for the Google Hangout thing we did, right? You remember that? No. Oh. Maybe we did. Yeah, I was thinking like I we were going to do remember. swag. We we're going to do bastard swag and all that stuff. Oh. If you're a listener, if you're an avid listener, and you feel like you can describe the show better than that line, which should be anybody, send us <laughs> send us your description of the show. And the best way to do that is to tweet one of us. I think that's the best way. Yeah. Shoot it on Twitter. Get it on. Uh, post it to Facebook or yep. LinkedIn or wherever. Whatever you like. No, we're going to be shortly disbanding the LinkedIn group. Right. But you can move over to our, you can just follow us on our company page. We'll have podcasts there. You can comment Mm -hmm. on it and discussion will be there. So any of those places. Yep. We're just, we're not leaving LinkedIn. We're just moving. So follow, follow interval on LinkedIn. Follow us around. And the winner will get something cool. We'll think of something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe send you a bastard mug or something. I don't know. Signed copy of Joe Public doesn't care about your hospital. (laughs) That's not a prize. That's a doorstop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, some updates. Uh, let's see, some speaking gigs coming up. We're going to be at the forum. Jackie and I are going to be there in person live. That's mm-hmm. Wednesday the 30th through April or May 2nd, Friday, May 2nd. Um, speaking on the 2nd, doing a workshop on embracing the new consumer healthcare marketing paradigm. We have Branding at the Bar, Wednesday the 30th, the evening of Wednesday the 30th. Drinks, food, trivia with prizes. That's always awesome. Mm-hmm. And then okay. I come home and go right back out to Washington, D.C. for the National Behavioral Health Conference, where I speak on branding on May 5th. I'm also going to be in Charlottesville, where I've been before, on May 21st through the 23rd. The actual date must be the 22nd of speaking. That's my assumption if I'm there over okay. that period. Um, and also doing a Shushmid webcast uh, on content marketing which I should have a date for, and I don't. So I think I mentioned before, you'd sign up for it, but you don't listen to it on right. a specific date. You just get the It's webcast. not live. Exactly. Okay, cool. So should we dismantle? Uh, 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 Let's do it. Uh, uh, uh. Some kind of dismantling All right, who wants to introduce sound this? effect. What's that? So we need some type of dismantling sound effect every time we're going to dismantle mm-hmm. something. Something like the sound of something crumbling? Yes. Or t- ripping to shreds. Shattering or... or... Like yeah. the transformer sound. Whatever that is. Is that dismantling? That's, 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 <laughs> that's just transforming. That's not, yeah. yeah, that's transforming. It's unfurling. It's dismantling. I just like the sound of This is dismantling. <laughs> nice. Like that? 
That's ripping. I'm going to yeah, sample that. Right, I'm going to sample that. Use it every time. <laughs> Take, please. Well, wait, I needed that. <laughs> All right. So I saw this article. Sorry, I screamed at you there. I saw this article. Uh, somebody posted it on Twitter. I didn't read it. Um, frankly, because I assumed I knew what the topic was about. Um, as soon as I saw the title, patient satisfaction is overrated by a doctor. I thought, okay, here we go. Uh, but I didn't read it. I should have. So Adam brought it forward actually. Mm-hmm. And Adam, do you want to set it up a little bit about what the, what the article is? Uh, why don't you set it up? Okay. Actually, I think you got a better feel for it overall. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a doctor who, uh, he, it's like a blog post or an article, and he's basically coming out saying that in our drive to improve patient satisfaction, physicians are spe- stepping forward to say that they are having to do things clinically they do not want to do because that will help their patient satisfaction scores. So um, he talks about... Uh, he spoke at he spoke at a conference about RSV and the appropriate diagnosis and treatment of it, and he said a physician came up to him afterwards and agreed with him, but said that he had no choice. He works in one of those venues and is subject. Uh, I don't know what the venue is. I didn't read the first part. Subject to measures of quality, quote unquote. That's the doctor's quote. Uh, for him, quality is measured in two ways. The first is by getting the patient door to door in forty five minutes, and the second is by a press candy survey to see if the patient was happy. So, side note. Neither one of those is quality, in my mind. Quality is clinical quality, and neither one of point. those is clinical quality. One's process quality, mm-hmm. and one's experience quality. Mm-hmm. So just putting that aside. That's a good now. point. Um, so because of these measures, he's forced to abandon his role as a responsible, responsible steward of antibiotic use to keep his job and get a bonus. Then he goes on to give these quite frightening examples of other yeah. physicians who have stepped forward. Uh, one doctor increased his satisfaction score 7% simply by prescribing an antibiotic to all patients who called with a complaint of cough, sore throat, or sinus headache. Another doctor reported to the media that he had to give Diliadid, which is a registered trademark, for minor pain because his press gainy score was low the previous month. Uh, one other example was um, one emergency room with poor survey scores started offering hydrocodone, quote-unquote, goodie bags to discharge patients in order to improve their ratings. His takeaway, quote, I believe that this little-known company, Press Ganey from South Bend, Indiana, has become a bigger threat to the practice of good medicine than trial lawyers. So his point is, again, these doctors are so fraught by their the pressure to raise their scores that they are basically abandoning the Hippocratic Oath mm-hmm. and giving people whatever they want to improve their scores. To which I say, bleep all. <laughs> I don't think I can say it on a podcast. Um, when, this, when we started reading this before the podcast, I got a little animated, didn't I? You did. Because I feel like this message is um, the correct clinical approach and strong patient satisfaction are mutually exclusive. And as a doctor, you can't do both. So you must screw the Hippocratic Oath, screw what's best for the patient or society, mm-hmm. and just give patients whatever they want so you can get a pay- better... A higher press score. gainy score. And yeah. I find that a colossal cop-out and one of just a thousand things that I've heard over the years from whiny doctors, frankly, who don't want to step up and actually deliver a better patient experience. Mm-hmm. That's right. my so that really animated, passionate... Yeah. Yeah. Take. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, can, I recall an experience with my son, my older son, who's four, um, just a few months ago, really, where I took him into the uh, just to the clinic, a regular appointment. It wasn't urgent care or anything, but he had a he had a sore throat. He was coughing. We've got to be really careful with him getting sick with our other kid around so he doesn't get sick. Um, but we took him in, and I remember the doctor had specifically I. You know, I was like, well, here's what he had last time uh, in terms of the medication. And the doctor, his family practice doctor, um, wasn't like a pediatrician, just a family practice doctor. So he could have seen adults or kids. Um, he said, well, I'm not going to. He said, you don't need anything this time. And he went on to explain why. He's like, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to give you an antibiotic because he's going to get over this on fine on his own. And I don't believe in overprescribing antibiotics. And I said, well, we've got like regular cough medicine at home. Should I give him that? He's like, don't even give him that. He's like, you just don't, I mean, you don't want your kid building immunities to these things. Right. And I felt I was happy with his response. I mean, Mm -hmm. I felt confident that I wasn't afraid that Max wasn't going to get over what he had um, because he wasn't getting antibiotics. You know, I assumed going in that we were going to be leaving with something like an antibiotic or something. And I left without that and even without advice to take cough medicine. But I left with the confidence and the satisfaction of knowing that that I felt like my child was going to be fine because he was just going to get over what he had on his own. Right. Um, so Mm -hmm. I was, I was perfectly satisfied. I was happy with the doctor. You know, the doctor took the time to sit and listen about, um, when I was describing the situation of our other, our other son who, you know, we can't have a sick child around our other son. And he want, he asked details about that. So it was not like he was even trying to rush me out. He wanted to hear about it. He was very sympathetic about, um, our other son. And it was just overall, it was a very good experience. And so I left feeling very happy with the experience, very Mm -hmm. satisfied and I didn't have drugs in my Not hand. screwed over because yeah. you didn't walk away with some so, painkillers? Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's an example to me of how a doctor can do their job properly in a case like that mm-hmm. um, and not send the patient or the patient's, you know, uh, caregiver or uh, overseer or what's the guardian, there's the word, uh, out the door with, you know, unnecessary medications. Right. I mean, as a patient, I just under, I mean, I always take what the doctor says as you know, that's how it needs to be. If I don't, if I don't walk away with prescription and I think I need a prescription, he probably knows what's best. Well, Um, there are certainly, I'll say there's no doubt people. I'm sure I can think of a few off the top of my head that will go in and demand that. Oh, sure. A lot of them. Right. And you know, his quote, you know, his, one of his things is the mandate is simple. Never deny a request for an antibiotic and opioid paid medication, a scan or admission. And you think he's exaggerating to make a point? I don't think he... Well, I think he is. Um, again, I can just picture this doctor in my head just going off the deep end about, yep, I'm never going to deny an opioid request. I'm just going to give people narcotics. I'm going to give them whatever they want because that'll right. help my... Seriously. Seriously, that's what you think this has come to? Uh, and there's no doubt that there are certainly cases where people will ding patient satisfaction because they're not getting quote unquote what right, they want. Right. Um, there certainly should be ways for press scanning or anybody else to identify, yeah, Hey, you know, red flag this because this person was angry. They couldn't get the, you know, you got drug addicts who come in and looking for stuff. Whatever. But right. this, those few people, this whole screed comes off just like, um, again, you don't want to be held accountable. That's it. That's well, basically it. And so you're going to use this draconian fear tactic of, okay, if you want to hold me accountable for customer service, then I'm just going to give away free <laughs> drugs to everybody because that makes them happy. Right. You know, bullshit. 
Sorry. Yeah. Bullshit to you. You said there was a lot of comments, Adam. I didn't they, read through. Yeah, there's like 200 comments after that. I wonder article. how supportive or. There's a, there's a part in here that I also thought was a little aggressive. Um, he says, if you tell a patient that their knee pain is related to weight, that their smoking is worsening their child's asthma, or that they can't lose weight because of French fries and not a glandular. 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 There you go. Glandular problem. Your ratings and pay will take a hit. I mean, come on. Right. And, and again, it's sure if you're going to say, look, you're fat. That's your problem. You're eating too much French fries. So lose some freaking weight. Well, yeah. Yeah. Your satisfaction is going to go down. <laughs> your job is to handle that message in the right way. Right. Right. I mean, it's just such a cop out. It's basically like they don't want to be held accountable for customer satisfaction at all. That's, That's his argument. Well, it's just ridiculous. And I think this is a situation. It's not unique to, I mean, there's, you could, you could think, I mean, consider like a car, a, a shop where you're going to take your car because you've got a problem. You're going to go in with a problem. It might be a very bad problem, and you're not going to want to hear what the person has to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, potentially hearing that you need to pay $3,000 to have your, you know, transmission replaced or, you know, your entire exhaust system under your car replaced is mm-hmm. not going to make you happy. Um, but if it's the truth, it's the truth. Um, and you may not be exactly. satisfied with the, ex- with the experience in the end, you know, knowing, you know, of having to pay $3,000 for something, mm-hmm. but you know, it was required. It had to be done. Um, but so I, I don't know, there's, there's something in healthcare though, where it's like, I don't, I agree with your sentiment, Chris, but I do think that I think as a society, we have to come to terms with the fact that we're not, that we're going to. That the situation needs to be kind of like the where there's just that's that's the way it is. You know, you might not be happy with you know that that being told that, but that's the way it is. You know, that you're not going to get drugs. Um, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are going to be some people who will. There's not going to be any explanation that anybody could give that's probably going to pacify them or make them happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the end of the day, they're going to just be pissed because that's kind of how they approach life. So right, right. in in that regard, I don't. I agree that satisfaction needs to that we need to revisit what it means maybe on some level. I don't know that that means that I don't think that means we don't measure it. So we don't look right. at it. We don't allow companies to evaluate it in, you know, various ways. But I think we need to just come to terms with the fact that you know, it's it's we have mm-hmm. to look at it in a different in a different light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 again, I think there certainly are situations and it and it may be 10, 20% of the population that believes they should get whatever they want and if they don't get it they're going to Sure. They're going to screw your your satisfaction survey. But to basically say that, okay, then we shouldn't be held accountable for that metric is just, that's just going to extremes. And it's classic avoidance by semi Aspergery group of people that (laughs) just don't think it matters. You know, that's his end thing is, you know, we should try to be kind to our patients and take time to understand them, but we must resist these misguided pressures and do the right thing. Why is that mutually exclusive? Right. And in the majority of times, it's not. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're just, you don't like the idea that you're getting a negative. You weren't taught it. 90% of these docs weren't taught that this was important and they're being held accountable for something sure. that most of us think is just basic common sense and human decency. But to them, that's not why I'm here. Mm-hmm. I'm here to slice you open or stick this in your throat or prescribe a medication. Right. And screw you, go on, move on to the next one because I've got. Another patient to see. The slice open. All right. Sorry. <laughs> that rant was brought to you by <laughs> Opiates. Pfizer. 
by Pfizer. <laughs> Prescribe us every time and you get a 7% lift to your patient satisfaction. <laughs> Fiverr, the score bumper. Pfizer. All right. Uh, next. You will straighten out your satisfaction. All right. Go ahead. Nice. <laughs> you experience a patient satisfaction lift lasting more than four, four hours. <laughs> All right, uh, the knowledge graph. Let's just touch on this briefly because, and by the way, this is another SEO. Though it's, I guess I look at this less as SEO and more of a content strategy. Right. A takeaway for me, um, but I just don't want to get, I don't want us to get buried in SEO because we did SEO last with our post. But actually right. it was, again, the post on SEO was more about content strategy and its importance, which I think this article is. So Adam, you want to give a setup on this one? Uh, yeah, it's actually it's about uh, Google's knowledge graph, and if you're if you're unfamiliar with what that is, uh, you probably have been exposed to it uh, in in some fashion with a Google search um, over the last year, probably. Basically, if you search for the example, the first example image in this article is a good one: Bengal tigers. You see, type that into Google. Um, not only do you get search results, you know the typical here's your link, here's a short excerpt. Mm-hmm. Um, over on the right hand side of the page, assuming you've got the brow- the screen real estate for it. You'll get, an, uh, and maybe this go, flows in line, I can't remember if you do have a smaller viewport, um, but you get an excerpt from their quote-unquote knowledge graph, which is basically them pulling together you know, everything they know about Bengal tigers from everything they've indexed and giving you a quick little snippet right on the search results page to tell you something about them. So you get sure. a little selection of images with one kind of big one and some smaller thumbnails. Uh, it says Bengal tiger. You get a little description of it. Then you get a few little extra meta details below that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you search for almost anything. And if Google knows anything about it, because um, it's somewhat of a popular search or a common thing, it'll give you this knowledge graph result on the side. Um, so this article just talks about um, the ups and downs of and the cons- your considerations for um, whether or not the knowledge graph could hurt you. Uh, whether and how you should think about um, being included in it, if you ever happen to be included in it. Um, if you, maybe you've authored an uh, article on a particular disease that has gotten a lot of traffic um, and was you know, Google selection for like the excerpt for content or a link that was cited there. Um, so it's just the article goes into the ups and downs, how to think about it, what it is, how you can influence it, or how it is going to maybe be bad for you or good for you, um, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So Yeah, and it, it makes the point that... Um it's it's likely going to have a drag, though who knows how much overall on link click-throughs to the natural search results. Right. Because right. if you're looking up Bengal tiger and you don't know what it is, and there could be like the American Zoological Society's entry on Bengal tiger as the first search result, but you get what you need out of the right. knowledge graph, you don't need to Got click it. through. Right. Um, and so... This applies in a limited way to healthcare. Like the first thing I try to do is... You know, I try to search for th- some things that might concern you, like joint replacement or whatever. And I wasn't coming up with any that would actually were fitting there. But then I went to sinus infection, and up came sinusitis, which is the official term for sinus infection. So there's a really brief, you know, sinusitis is inflammation of the sinuses, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's got causes, symptoms, tests, treatment, prognosis, prevention, um, so this is all part of the knowledge graph. So in other words, mm-hmm. it's directing me away from the natural search, right. which the first one I have that's not paid is WebMD and taking me over here. Now, I'm not going to click through, or I suppose I could, but undoubtedly there's some WebMD content behind the knowledge graph. Um, what? 
Oh, go ahead. I have something like to add when you're done. Interject something. Um, to me, and, and the, the, the author of the article makes the point of saying, if your content strategy is providing quick answers, this could be damaging to you. Because if your content strategy as a hospital is, we're going to draw people in by defining sinus infection, well, now it's unlikely people are going to come to you because it's defined right in the search results page from KnowledgeGraph. But that's where I, I was trying to allude to earlier that I think this goes to less about SEO and more about content strategy overall. Because if that is your content strategy, you're 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 off with the wrong foot, right? For regardless of the knowledge graph, mm-hmm. because if 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 you think as a hospital or health system that providing content at the level of a simple definition of something is in any way going to help you. With SEO, with marketing, building volumes, it ain't going to happen. Not that you shouldn't provide a definition where it's appropriate, but content strategy means you're building content that's relevant, that's differentiated mm-hmm. um, from other sources. And there's a lot of ways to do that, but if you're just providing that most much of a basic piece of information, uh, it's not going to be differentiated by, by default. Right. Uh, and it's really not. It'll be relevant to some people, but very few people are going to go to your hospital page to find out the basics of sinus infection. Right. They're going to want to know how it's treated. They're going to want to hear from your doctor. They're going to hear about maybe your urgent care hours. Um, if you have some compelling content around common ailments in the house, like sinus infection, that could bring them in. Sure. Um, so, in a way, I think that if you if this you think this is a problem for you, then it's probably because you have a problem with your content strategy to start with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see this as only being, you know, if you, if I think very few hospitals, you know, aside from maybe like big players like the Mayo Cleveland Clinic, Clinic, Cleveland right. Clinic, um, are going to would ever be even included in one of these. I mean, it certainly is possible, right? Uh, but if you were, it's I think it's only going to be helpful because to your point, Chris, if if all you're providing is, I mean, if like I I just I typed in heart as 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 an example, thinking maybe I would get some healthcare stuff. As a result, actually, the knowledge graph is feeding me information about the band heart, which is a more popular search. Um, but like, so the excerpt takes me to the the to a to Wikipedia. So you know, they've pulled content, probably the page description from that page for Wikipedia from Wikipedia. Uh, is one of their main sources for the knowledge graph. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if your short, you know, if your page description for the page that goes deeper into something like you know heart care or a specific heart uh, disease, um, if if you get selected there, and you know people most likely are going to want more than a basic definition of heart of heart disease or a specific heart condition, right? And they're going to that's going to help you drive drive traffic to the site because they're going to click through on the link that takes them to the, to the reference for that piece of information. So I really see the knowledge graph as being nothing but good probably in, in the healthcare space for, for our clients in particular uh, hospitals and health systems. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like I said, if you do happen to be featured there, I think it's only, I don't think be, they'll ever be featured. there. I, I, Let me no, just say that I. off the top nor of my I. head. I don't aspire to be featured. There. <laughs> don't aspire like to. any of the healthcare stuff that I pulled up. It's all from the U S national library of medicine. Yes. So anything that's coming up in the knowledge graph, if you click, if there's a it's link there, it's from a there, huge resource. It's yes, and and in the article it talks about the the resources they use are Wikipedia, um, Freebase, giant databases, databases of, of content. content. It's yeah. not gonna, even Mayo Clinic. You'd think if anybody might pop through here, mm-hmm. they're still going to be behind WebMD, frankly, most likely. Yeah. So, so I, maybe I've tried to be clear with my prefacing of that. 
it's un, it's unlikely yes. you would be in there. The big guys, maybe these huge, these massive content databases. Yes, they will power it. But sh- if you happen to end up there, it, I don't think it's going to be a bad thing. No, no. But I just think that would be it would be unlikely. Perfect. All of the content, you know, like if you look up a, like I looked up breast cancer, you know, causes symptoms, tests, treatment. It's all Adam content. Yeah, there are huge medical databases on the National stuff. Library of Medicine. Say that again, Jackie. If you click through, like when you were Googling any condition, yeah. and then you clicked on causes, symptoms, tests, those are that's all Adam content. What was your first search? Um, it's like sin- sinusitis. sinusitis. What do you mean it's Adam content? Oh, I see. Adam, but it's it's so Adam must Adam's biggest client must be the U.S. government, right? Or whatever the U.S. National Library of Medicine is. That may not be the government. I probably shouldn't say that. Um. Which also circles back to why using Adam as a hospital is <laughs> not the best. Right. Because if you're providing information on breast lumps, which is where I just ended up, um, using Adam's content, you are now competing with Adam in this sense. Mm-hmm. It's the That's very content point. you're using yeah. that you're paying for Sorry is out there. behind Knowledge Graph. And it's going to take people to someplace else. So it's building SEO far greater than yours ever could because you're just going to be whatever, 20th in line behind other hospitals mm-hmm. too. It's just, we've made that point before that libraries aren't bad. Um, they're just not, they're not the strongest asset for content marketing, mm-hmm. SEO, that type of thing. In fact, they can be negative. Right. Okay. Let's move on. All right. Healthcare spending growth hits 10-year high. This is kind of big news. It's big news because um, healthcare spending has actually been, it hasn't been decreasing. That's really important distinction. It's been increasing at a slower rate. So the rate of increase in healthcare spending over the past few years has slowed like single percentage. Um, the fourth quarter of uh 2013, I guess it is. Yeah. Saw a 5.6 annual rate of increase. Now, the statistics can be confusing. That doesn't mean it went up 5.6% in one quarter, which would annualize to like a 20% increase. Oh, okay, right. That means if you applied that to the whole year, it would be 5.6%, which is a lot given that it had slowed to 1%, 2 3%, which when you think about inflation – is typically two or three percent, at least it has been for a long time. In the seventies, okay. it was fourteen percent or some god awful thing. Um, that's a lot. So theoretically, maybe double inflation, mm-hmm. which is remember where healthcare was for a long time. Um, it's just like college tuition; it just goes up at this exponential rate. Right. Um, so that's big news, and there's some reasons given in here, and I think the one that makes the most sense to me is. Um, quote, the increase is a marked change from slow-growing rates of healthcare prices and spending in recent years. Many unemployed Americans went without health insurance or limited their spending during the recession and sluggish recovery, says Dan Mendelson, CEO of consulting firm Avalary Health. So there's two ways that your overall spending can go up. One, you can spend on more things, and or two, the things you're spending on increase in cost. Okay. 
right? So either one of those could happen and lead to an increase mm-hmm. overall spending. It's just like if you're if you're if your grocery spending increases over the year, that could be because you had a baby and you're buying more groceries, or because the cost of your groceries are increasing. Sure. What people are you know bummed about is everything that we've been doing, accountable care wise and other, mm-hmm. is supposed to be slowing the cost of right. care, right? right? So that excuse says, well, it, it, the cost of care may have slowed, but more people are buying care because now we're out of the recession. And that makes a lot of sense. And that's only going to increase as the economy stays healthy and the baby boomers come through. So I don't know what you take away from all that. Uh, it does say <laughs> it's interesting because it says driving the increase was an $8 billion rise in hospital revenue, more than the previous four quarters combined. Now, RBS economist Omar Sharif, wow, thought he was dead. A great actor. Omar Sharif <laughs> says the increase in hospital <laughs> income was puzzling because the number of inpatient days dipped 1% during the fourth quarter. So there's the idea that we're contracting care because of accountable care or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever steps we're taking because inpatient care dropped 1%, yet revenues for hospital costs were increased $8 billion, which is a lot. So why is that more people are accessing care? It's just not inpatient care, which doesn't surprise me because everything we're doing is trying to keep people out of the hospital in many ways. So that's more outpatient care, that's more scans, it's more imaging, it's more pharmaceuticals, all that. That makes sense. I just love the quote from the American Hospital Association spokesman. What what do you think she blames it on? Will she blame it on an increase in hospital costs or will she blame it on more people getting more care? Second choice. You think so? Mm-hmm. Quote, the They're improved winning. economy could result in individuals having the resources to spend on healthcare services. American Hospital Association spokeswoman Jennifer Schleeman says, can't be us costing more <laughs> <laughs> it just can't be. So anyway, there good you go. information. It is good information. It's good to know. Um, it's good to know. It's it's good for our clients. Probably bad for society. What is Repsol? Repsol drug? R E P S O L. What's that? I'm on the article and there's a big ad, just kind of a simple, clean ad. I couldn't help but notice it over on the side. The Wedding first, day jewelers? No, at That's first it looked like first it looked like Pepsi. It's the logo here. Look at this. Oh wow, that is big. So I mean, it, it almost it looked like Pepsi to me at first, but I'm like, that's the wrong color. Maybe it is Pepsi. No, it says it's Repsol, and then looks like gasoline or something. I'm clicking through to it. Is it gas? Takes me to Repsol.com. First navigation option on the first shareholders and investors. I don't know what the hell. What the hell is Here, that? I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with somebody. I love disagreeing with these people that are yeah. massive experts in this and gas and stuff. I'm just like a dude <laughs> with a loud mouth. Not everyone believes higher healthcare spending and prices are coming. Larry Van Horn, executive director of health affairs at Vanderbilt University's Owen Graduate School of Management, says the shift of the cost burden to patients will continue to drive down medical expenditures. I think we have a long way to go. He says. I, the the way I the reason I don't agree with that is yes there obviously is a increasing shift to patients but that that shift is limited and it doesn't hit the big impact the big money stuff yeah and I and I was talking to somebody about this the other day I don't care how high your deductible is mm-hmm. 
in the end, if you have to have surgery, you're wiping that deductible out. Right. So, you know, it, it will have an impact. It's just not going to have a massive impact. It just can't because the cost of this stuff is way too high for it ever to have. It's not like, it's not like you know, people are spending money to buy cars out of their pocket. That has an impact. You're never going to – I mean, most people aren't. Because mm-hmm. if they did, we'd all be on the streets out of jobs, right? <laughs> yeah, we would. Poor, broke, bankrupt, if yeah. everybody had to pay everything out of their own pocket. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, and you, and it's interesting, too, shopping for insurance. When you know, when you know up front that you're going to hit your deductible like really quickly, yeah. your maximum out of pocket for your whole family, when you know you're going to nail that sucker, you really, really, <laughs> you really evaluate insurance plans kind of in a different light. But I think before, it was kind of like, yeah, whatever. Just give me whatever you got. Whatever is the most affordable. But then, man, once you have to start evaluating mm-hmm. it based on yeah. what you're really going to need to spend when you know you're going to spend it, it's just a whole other ballgame. It is. So I will give props, too, to the, well, since uh, Robert Prevo, who used to work with us and has moved on to some other stuff, his wife uh, started. And we may, maybe we talked about gravy a little bit in the previous podcast. But new company, kind of the brokers help you figure out. Uh, options for insurance on the exchanges on the exchanges yeah um but before they had officially launched my my wife and i actually were in contact with one of the um one of the guys who is the broker is the right word but one of the people who helps you understand the plans and he helped us understand a few things about plans and it was pretty awesome actually the insights we got from him things we didn't know to think about um and little weird little quirks that well, that's are not obvious. Tricky. The weird little quirks is where you got to be careful. Yes. Like you can look for deductible and premium and all that. But if like me, I have a certain medication I take that if that was excluded, I mean, I have to look in the nitty gritties, mm-hmm. right? Oh, if that thing's excluded, it dwarfs everything yeah. else. Yeah. So I, oh, I would yeah. never change to a plan that like saved me a couple hundred dollars a month. If that drug isn't covered. Cause then I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm screwed. And there are a lot of people out there like finding that out the hard way. Yeah, yeah. So I don't even know how. I don't know if if gravy can help you dig into that nitty gritty level or not. I down to like what is what's on the uh, what's it called the formulary for plans. They should, right? I mean, that's yeah. That's the stuff. If you if you're at that level, that's what's really what what you need to know. Obviously, so yeah. And Repsol is a Spanish gas company, by the way. I was right. <laughs> Why would you have that uh, Spanish gas company out on your? I'm not sure. Just a, you know, gas companies have money to throw out, piss away. So they're, why not? Why not drive Spanish? from Minnesota to Spain yeah. to get gas? Well, like they're like BP. I'm sure you know they're global. So it's they're not they don't they're just not a gas station. It's a gas company. They might be a gas station an too. Energy company. Energy. He's an energy company. Oh, an oil forgive company. me. I'm that's sorry. Right. Yeah. That's right. Let's get this right. All right. Are we done dismantling? Sure. <laughs> That's pretty good dismantling. Yeah, some good stuff so. there. Yeah. All right. So let's wrap her up. For Eric and Healthcare Market Ambassadors, this is Chris Bevelo, Jackie Olson, and Adam Meyer. 